you're a writer or an artist and you want to get your work out into the world. If you want to honour your creativity and finally stop hiding, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Siobhan Jones, and it's time to sound your bell. In this episode, I'm delighted to introduce you to an award-winning author who shines a light on environmental and animal rights issues. Her captivating picture books are Ella, Billy and Jelly Boy. My special guest today is Nicole Godwin. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is just great to be here. First things first, if you could be an animal, what would you be and why? Oh, because I write about so many animals, that's a really good question. I still I have a real affinity with elephants and I think I would probably choose elephants. And the reason why is that my first book, Ella, was about an elephant who was taken from her mum and put to work entertaining tourists. But the catalyst for that book was that I had the fortune of visiting a real elephant sanctuary in Thailand and actually volunteering at another sanctuary as well at Boon Lots Elephant Sanctuary. So for me, I had an intimate um, introduction to, to elephants and got to know them and their stories and just their intelligence and their resilience and their gentleness. So I think it has to be an, ele- an elephant. And I'd been toying with the idea of writing a series of picture books with animals as the focus because my other passion is animal rights. So I knew that those two worlds would combine, but I just wasn't quite sure how. And that for me was the catalyst. As soon as I started hearing the stories of some of these elephants, I knew that I really had to get moving and that the first book would definitely focus on on these creatures and elephants in tourism. Did you always know that you were going to be a writer? No. When I was in primary school and and probably more the junior years of high school to some extent, I loved writing. I loved creativity and stories and art as well. But I think somehow I lost that a bit in the the later years and even being influenced, I guess, a bit by trying to have a, a secure profession and When I applied for university, I remember I didn't know what I wanted to do and I put three choices down and one was accounting because I I did well in that during year 12, geography because I I love the natural world and PE teaching because I've always been very active. So I don't think you can get um, more different uh, choices and I ended up actually doing an accounting degree and I completed it and worked in that field for a number of years but then I went back and studied professional writing because I think I was doing a bit of soul searching and really knew that I wanted to do something that made me happy and that I loved and that I connected to. So I sort of went back to those early years and realised that that was something that naturally I was good at and that I liked doing and it fed the soul. So interestingly, I, you know, okay with numbers but also the words. How does a story start for you? Um, in, in different ways. So I think with my first, uh, well, first book, as I mentioned before, so Ella was very much after I volunteered at an elephant sanctuary. I just knew that, that I had to tell the story of some of these, these elephants. And others, 
I guess that I start with the the animal or the issue. So my second book, Billy, is very much about a dolphin who sets off looking for the biggest wave, but in her search she encounters ocean pollution and drift nets and dolphins in captivity. And so I knew I wanted to write about dolphins and some of the issues they faced, but the book itself just morphed as I started writing it. So originally I thought it was going to be a book about dolphins in captivity, but it ended up being too narrow of a story. So I, I guess, and that's the creativity, it's just thinking about how you can broaden it, what will be of interest to children and looking at the story arc and thinking about some of the problems that are in the ocean and that became the story arc and the issues leading to the biggest problem, which in Billy is Billy getting caught in a drift net. So very much starting with the animal, but I must say in other cases with Jelly Boy, that was instigated at a writing course at the ACT Writers Centre and Elisa Darlison was was leading the course. And it came about just from a writing exercise where we had to jot down the name of an animal or animals that aren't usually in a book, an unusual problem, and just looking at characters in a different way. And I remember my first line as part of that course that I read out ended up being, you know, the same first line that w- was included, you know, in, in the book. So for me, that just sprung up. I hadn't planned on writing about jellyfish, but it just turned out. So let me just read you the first line in the book is, it was love at first sight. You're big and strong and not as wobbly as other jelly boys. So jelly boy is about a jellyfish who falls in love with a plastic bag. So very much, as I said, I wasn't even intending on writing that and and it just grew from an exercise. That's incredible and I think it really shows people who are potentially looking to start writing again or to keep writing up as a habit the importance of things like writing exercise to prompt your skill development. Absolutely. And I've got one thing that I've used as well. Um, it's an older book, but it's called Once Upon a Slime. And there are, there are lots of writing prompts from Andy, Andy Griffiths. And they're really good. If you're not sure, if you sit down and you're not sure what how to start something, you can just pick something from his book and just start writing. So it doesn't have to be about, for me, even though I write about the environment and, and animals, it doesn't have to be about that. But interestingly, because that's in the back of my mind, sometimes they still come up, but it's in, a, in an interesting way that maybe I haven't thought of before. So I've certainly started stories from those exercises that have turned into something a lot broader. Can I ask, why do you write for children specifically? For me, I think that because I write stories that have some underlying themes about, as I said, animals and the environment, it's a way to get children to question the world and see see the world from a different perspective. And I believe that children, they have a lot of empathy and with all the issues in the world that are happening at the moment, I just think that they hold, um, it's not a lot of power, but just um, we're, we're going to rely on them in our future as well. And yeah. it's my little way of trying to create, I guess, a more caring world. And, and that's why I think my books very much try to focus on, for, for children, how, how would life be for an elephant or a jellyfish or a dolphin and for them to feel that empathy and see life from their perspective. And 
do you start writing a story with the character in mind or with the plot in mind or does it just come to you? So very much I think that, look, they're, they're both intertwined. With Billy, the I had the character but the plot developed. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be originally. But with Jelly Boy, I knew that that was the journey was that she was falling in love with a plastic bag and that her family said that he was no good for her and that she followed regardless. And, you know, it was only later on that she realised that he was no good for her. And that's the realisation, not just for the jellyfish, but for the reader as well. So that one, I really knew that they were both intertwined and it had to take that, that flow with the plot. And can you tell us about the process of writing with illustrations in mind and then how it all sort of comes together? through the publishing process? Yes. So it's different once again with with my books. So I always write illustration notes as I go through, but particularly Billy um, with the dolphin looking for the biggest wave, the words in that uh, and the text are very much about the ocean and the turmoil of the seas and very deliberately because it was leaving room then for the illustrations to actually show what the issue was. So if I had sent the text of that to um, the illustrator, Demelsa Horton, she wouldn't have known what it was about. So in that instance, and it's a bit unconventional, I had to draw, and I say my bad drawings, I had to send those to Demelsa just so she would get a sense of what the issues were on each page. And then they came together with the text, but the text isn't describing what the issues are. Whereas with Jelly Boy, it was really just having a few illustration notes and then Walker Books teamed me with the um, incredible Christopher Nielsen and the first thing that we do in terms of the illustrations are developing what are called character studies. So really working out what the jelly girl jellyfish looks like and the um, Jelly Boy, the bag. So rather than going right in and developing all of the storyboards and all of the the look and the feel. It's really focusing on those characters. And with Walker Books, it was a really collaborative experience because I would get sent some of those concepts and have that opportunity to provide feedback as well. And then Christopher, um, who was doing all of the legwork, obviously, with the illustrations, he would be, you know, modifying and working with the publisher and she would draw me in as needed. So very much it's the characters first and then it's building the storyboard and then the rest of the the detail. How do you develop the emotional arc of a story? I think all my stories do follow a classic story arc um, and I think that is because I do write about problems and issues. So you can really clearly see the problems that are building. So you'll have one problem, then a bigger problem, and then a bigger problem. So I'm very focused on that when I'm writing. And techniques like using the rule of three is very prominent in my books as well. And leading to, you know, the biggest problem. And then, um, you know, you've probably heard of, you know, a blue page, which um, if it's a sad picture book, and not all picture books are sad, which is the saddest page 
in the book, not blue in colour, but blue in feeling and sadness. And when you, you know, sort of have that page, what I'm trying to deliberately do is create that emotion and that connection to the book. And then they turn the page and the next page after a blue page always gives that hope. So as I'm writing and creating the story um, and looking, planning out the plot, I'm very conscious of those parts of the story and those elements. One of the things that I've been hearing no matter what people are creating, there's always this kind of inner critic. So I just wondered, have you ever experienced the inner critic while writing? Oh, always. And I remember posting something that I found on um, Facebook ages ago and it was almost the stages of creativity and, and but you, you start off going, this is awesome, and then you're going, oh, I'm not sure oh, maybe this is not good, actually this is really bad, and then you then you flip around again and go, oh, no, maybe it's okay, maybe it's great. But I think that that's just the, the self-doubt, and I know that I, like many creatives, go through that a lot, and particularly if you pitch something to a, you know, a publisher and it doesn't get picked up, which is what happens, you know, most of the time for most of us, you do start questioning yourself and having those doubts. Um, but one thing for me that I have found to be a great support, um, I've got a critique group that I'm part of, and we not only look over each other's manuscripts, but we also communicate regularly about the industry as well. And I think that that helps me give, you know, gives me some perspective. And I can see very early drafts of other people's works as well. And I can see how they develop. And it just lets me step back and look at mine in a different way as well. But those doubts, I think, are always there for for many of us. Can I just say, I love my critique group. They're just wonderful. And I think there's a level of trust with critique groups and that's certainly with mine that we've been together for a while now and we're really fortunate that most of us in in the group attended a Scooby retreat a couple of years ago. So it started in person as a critique group and now we've got people in South Australia, Newcastle, Sydney, so we're all over the shop. But it's just a really safe place. We're all super comfortable with putting up even really early drafts and people all come at it from different perspectives with the feedback. And and I know personally me critiquing other people's work makes me a better writer because I'm coming at and looking at a manuscript from different perspectives, which then allows me to do that on my own. What's one thing that writers can learn from rejection? From rejection? Um, it's perseverance. And look, I think I remember saying to family and friends a while ago that, one thing this writing journey has taught me is perseverance. And I know that that's everyone says that and you hear that with a lot of things, whether it's starting up your own business. But it just really rang true for me when I found that, you know, I might have been submitting something to publishers and, um, you know, nothing came of it and that I might be entering a competition and nothing came of it. And then something does happen and, you know, that might be um, a book contract or being recognised in competitions and that's that's all you need, that, that mm. those little bits of hope and success and that keeps you going. But you just cannot expect it to be all roses and sunshine because it is a really hard slog and that's what it takes to get better as a writer to develop yourself it's just something I think that for me, a rejection is 
disheartening, but it also is means that you can reflect on your work. It might not be right for that publisher. Doesn't mean that it's not right, you know, overall. But you can still step back and have a look at it. But in terms of rejections from publishers as well, it depends if you if you're not getting any feedback, which is you know often the case, then you're not sure exactly where you've fallen down. What is incredibly valuable and the way to get in front of publishers is by going to you know conferences or other events where you can pay for a critique. So if I am lucky enough to get a spot with a publisher and have my 15 minutes with them and they can provide feedback on my manuscript, even if they reject it, that's where it's super valuable because I know what they're looking for and then I can make any changes if I agree with where they're coming from because I know some publishers are talking about and giving advice for what fits in with their list, Mm -hmm. um, but definitely just taking all of that on board where I can. I just wondered, where is your favourite place to write? If I I love writing in my home, if no one else is home, in, mm-hmm. in our family room because I can look out on I've got a very green, lovely backyard and it's quiet and my dog's around and it just feels peaceful and just tranquil. But having said that, at the moment with COVID, I've got my 21-year-old son working from home and um, my other son at university. So I'm not getting the house to myself much at all. So I'm finding that I am tucked away a little bit more in my bedroom where I've got a, a desk and, you know, a sort of a mini office. And I guess the good thing is at least I can still look out on my backyard, but it's not the same environment that I love as much. But it's certainly at home. It's not in other places. Although in the past I have gone to the National Library if I'm researching a book, but I still, I think, prefer to write at home where I where I can. If you had, say, your top tip for an emerging writer today, what, what would it be? Um, definitely join groups like Squibby because that's where you're building community, making strong connections and learning the industry. I guess the second part of that would be make sure you're going to conferences where you can. I know there's a money factor as well, but conferences or writing retreats or pitch sessions and getting to in front of publishers because that is the way that you will get your work out there. And even if you get a no, your name is still and face are still getting recognised by publishers. So they would be, I think, the two things. How do we find your books and how can we connect with you? So um, my books, because Jelly Boy, my latest one, was released in February, it's in a lot of bookshops at the moment, so that's really accessible and easy to find. And thank goodness um, I released it in February. I was able to have a physical launch and not a virtual launch. My other books, Ella and Billy, are available through uh, lots of bookstores in Canberra, but not more broadly. But they're also available through the Tusk Books website, so T-U-S-K-B-O-O-K-S.com, where you can buy them directly there. So I have two websites, my author website, which is NicoleGodwin.com, and my Tusk Books website. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, look, it's been my pleasure as well. And that was Nicole Godwin, award-winning children's picture book author. 
all of the resources, including how you can find out more about Nicole and her picture books, are in the show notes. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review. Until next time, take care.